You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stage Door Podcast, the podcast celebrating theatre and creativity from onstage mishaps to career-defining moments. Hosted by thespians, myself, Tori, and co-host Eliza. Fortnightly, we will bring you industry professional guests, deep dives, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Welcome to our first deep dive of 2023. And since I can't do it alone, here with me today is our own Mr. Cellophane, Gareth Isaac. Hello, Eliza. Lovely to see you on this Sunday morning, this cruel, cruel time at which we are recording. It's the only time either of us could manage. It's quite frankly criminal. Talk about tour life. Oh, honestly. Like, I'm touring, you're studying, there's an hour time difference, but we're making it work. It'll be all right. We are. We are making it work. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing really well. I think um, it's been a bit of a crazy week here at the podcast. I'm actually by myself today um, just because our beautiful Tori is going through a couple of personal things right now, so isn't able to join us this week. But um, as soon as they are ready and ripe to go again, they will be back on the podcast, but very glad that I was able to grab you for this deep dive on Chicago. I know, right? We're going to do very fun things with this little show. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that I am on Tabal land. And I am on the land of the Wiradjuri people, the traditional custodians of Melbourne, the land on which we work, live and record. And we recognise sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Well, today, of course, we are doing a beautiful deep dive on Chicago but I guess I should ask how is tour life going oh tour life is great mate like we're playing at her majesty's at the moment we've been there a little over two months now we're playing straight through to the end of June Adelaide is now on sale so any Adelaide fans want to jump on and see us at the festival center come July just Pop on down. Pop on the website. I saw the other day you did your 300th show. Is that correct? Yeah, like my personal 300th show. The show itself did 300 the week before that. But because I have taken a little bit of time off here and there just to travel back and forth to Sydney to see friends, do weddings, move out of houses, etc. My 300th happened last week. And that is stupid to think about. And we're actually, I'm going to date the podcast, we are two days away from our one-year anniversary of starting rehearsals. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so exciting. Do you guys celebrate that stuff? Uh, Not in a massive way, but this one I think is just going to be for the cast to say, holy shit, guys, we've, we've been doing this for 365 days. That is an insane achievement, and we'll just have like little recognition throughout the day. Well, it's a brilliant show, so um, oh, guys, get your tickets. Stop it right now. You're going to see our very Gareth in it. It's very exciting. It's mostly falling over, but I do it artfully. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, right? Thank you. <laughs> right, now that we're done with all that jazz, yeah, see what I did there? Let's kick off 2023 right with a visit to the Roaring Twenties as we deep dive into the seminal masterpiece musical that is Chicago. 
Based on the 1926 play of the same name by Maureen Dallas Watkins, Chicago tells the story of chorus girl Roxy Hart, the prettiest woman ever charged with murder in Chicago, who experiences the fleeting highs and crushing lows of stardom and infamy through the lens of her sensationalised murder trial. After reading the play in 1960, Gwen Vernon approached her husband, Bob Fosse, about the prospects of turning the piece into a full-blown musical. Fossey would approach Watkins several years during her life and only successfully obtain the rights in 1969 after Watkins passed away. Fossey approached collaborators Fred Ebb and John Kander to write the score and assist with the book. While Fossey handled direction and choreography and Vernon took up the role of the merry murderess herself, Roxy Hart. The show opened on Broadway in 1975 at the 46th Street Theatre, now the Richard Rogers Theatre, home of Hamilton, and ran for 936 performances before closing in 1977. The West End premiere soon followed in 79, but Chicago is perhaps most famous for being revived in 1996 as part of the Encores series before transferring to Broadway and has been playing ever since. It's become the longest-running Broadway revival, the longest-running American musical on Broadway, and the second-longest-running Broadway show of all time after my sweet child Phantom of the Opera. You do love a bit of Phantom. <laughs> no, who knew? <laughs> While the original production was not successful in the awards department, only picking up a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Lighting Design, mm. the revival was nominated for a total of eight Tony Awards and won six of them, making it the most awarded Broadway revival mm. of its time until the revival of South Pacific in 2008. The show was also adapted into a blockbuster movie musical in 2002, which went on to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Today, Chicago is a staple of the Broadway scene and is bringing the house down at the Ambassador Theatre in New York. I should preface this deep dive with a fact about me. I have never seen Chicago. Like, never, never, never? Never, 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 never. I've seen enough clips of the film. I've seen, like, a bit of bootlegs here and there of the, some of the more recent productions with new cast changes. But I've never sat down and watched the show. Because, here's the thing. I feel like I don't need to. Because I've been exposed to musical theatre for so long, having done the degree, having now worked professionally... I know the story and songs of Chicago by osmosis. It's become that iconic. Like, everyone knows the story. Everyone knows they both reached for the gun. Everyone knows Mr. Cellophane. Everyone knows I can't do it alone. The hot honey rag. Like, it's a ubiquitous Broadway show. So I've never taken the time to actually seek it out and watch it. And I don't know if that's a detriment. No, I mean, I think that... I think you are right to a certain degree because I think the show, you don't need too much more context than that. There's a couple of really nice little moments you get throughout the thing, you know, Hanyak when Hanyak um, unfortunately gets hung for... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoilers for 1977. Sorry, spoilers for Not the show. Not guilty. <laughs> um gets hung that's like a huge that's like a really nice moment mm. of the stage musical and also the movie too it's one of those shows that the the music has transcended past just musical theater into like even uh pop culture and 
you know, you'll find so many different shows doing different versions of the Cell Block Tango oh and, my you know, God, parroting yes. different parts of the show. So it kind of... Like how it, many like high school recitals have you seen opening with all that jazz? Oh, so many, so many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've probably been a part of a few. <laughs> 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 but um yeah i mean i i've watched the i've got to say i was a big fan of the movie musical and that's how much how i fell in love with chicago to yeah, begin it, with it that was be, my it seemed to be a real gateway for a lot of people like musicals yeah. in general movie musicals had fallen off in popularity in the 2000s but chicago acted as a real gateway for people to dive back into it so after that we had like productions like la la land in the mid 2010s like it was ultimately just a huge boost for the idea of oh we can sing and dance on camera again and it's actually doable admittedly though the film did change a fair few things from uh the stage musical in sense of certain songs were cut because they only happened in Roxy's mind. Yeah. yeah. No, that was some something that I noticed because there was a couple of songs. I don't know. Is class in the musical? Is it in uh, the movie musical? Class is not in the movie musical, but no. it was recorded fully with the original cut lyrics. See, I'm surprised that one didn't make the cut, to yeah, be honest. It's, it's an interesting one, and I'm kind of annoyed it didn't because class is probably one of my favourite songs from the movie like oh the musical rather i'm falling over my words it's sunday morning i'm allowed it's okay it's it's 8 30 here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh, class originally uh contained a slur for the female genitalia that bob fossey was like hey can we can we not that that's bad and then that lyric was added back in for the movie version of the song and then the entire song got cut It's so sad. I love I that song. I mean, that's probably one of the things that I think stands out with Chicago for its time. Because I think it was really innovative for when it was written. The music itself is really different compared to everything that was being created around the same time. And not only that, you have Bob Fosse's incredible dancing. Exactly. Which was actually really interesting watching because I watched the, movie, uh, the musical last night and like the stage musical, hmm. I might have taken in a slime tutorial. I'm sorry, uh, you found a slime tutorial without my assistance for a change? I know! Oh my god! Come on, the little bird's taken wing. I have, I have. Uh, <laughs> piracy queen here. <laughs> Yo ho ho, motherfucker. <laughs> so I watched that and it was really interesting because I was like, oh... There's no set. And I mean, I re- I kind of knew that, but there's really no extra set, no extra costumes. Yeah. Really used throughout throughout the show and it's all reliant on Bob Fosse's choreography mm-hmm. to really create shape and interest and obviously the lighting plot as well, which will do that, but it's really interesting because you don't have color in there. You don't have like, you know, in the movie, you've got these bright colors. You're seeing the 20s. You're seeing, um, you know, the styles and and so much more than what you do at the stage musical. And it's so interesting because I don't know which one I like more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's look at it this way. Film versus live theater. I think 2001 is perfectly encapsulated in that film. Like, you get their vision of what the 1920s vaudeville scene was. 
And that's mm. great. I think, from what I have seen of Chicago, the stage musical is this perfect little encapsulation of what vaudeville actually is. Like you said yes. earlier, in the 70s, when this was written and produced, the music was so different because it was hearkening back to an earlier style with modern sensibility. So the set itself, very bare, very basic, but that's because vaudeville is ultimately, for those who don't know, a series of variety acts. So you could go from fire juggling one second to operatic descants the next when the next performer comes on. Which is exactly what it does because exactly. there's the entire operatic song that threw me. When I watched <laughs> the stage show, I was like, wait, what is going on right now? And then, and then I was like, oh, right. Okay, no, this is, this is normal. This is the show. This is exactly what I signed up for. <laughs> exactly. And that, that was the way that Candor and Ebb were brought on to write the book and the music. They styled each song and each character after a certain style of vaudeville act. So all these variety performers, like Both Reached for the Gun is ventriloquism. Uh, Mr. Yes. Cellophane is mime. It's just a lot of silly referential stuff, which leads into a further analysis of, hey, we're glamorizing the criminal lifestyle. Oh, 100%. That was actually something I loved watching, was um, especially Mr. Cellophane, because... No, no, no Mr. Mr. Cellophane. cellophane. Mr. Cellophone, um, <laughs> because of the white gloves and the like, the use of a bit of mime in there, and I was like, oh, I'm really catching on to what they mean by this. And also, there's so much like slapstick comedy. Like the musical is so much more funny than the movie is. Like the movie kind of plays into the drama a little, like the comedic drama. Whereas mm. the musical, even I found in Cell Block Tango. Each of the monologues was funny, not serious. Whereas I think sometimes when this song is taken into mainstream society, it's then like dramatized so much. Mm. Whereas so much of that song is actually quite funny, depending on how the actor portrays it and what they do with it. That's a testament, I think, to the shift of focus and the shift of reality scope between film and theatre. Film does need to be smaller and, in some cases, more edgy, I guess, in this context. Meanwhile, on stage, you're allowed to be huge and make far bigger choices. This is, like, acting 101. So to be able to just go completely ham with the fact that you killed your husband over the fact he kept popping gum... Exactly! That's hilarious! Sometimes there's like the perception of what something is and then the reality of what it is. And I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. I never thought, I never saw it like that. And that was something like yeah, a really context nice... context is king, baby. Yeah, context is key. It really is. And I mean, I guess in terms of this musical, it was actually written based on real murder trials that happen, which is... It was, it was. Or at the very least, the play was. The, the, yes. Wat- the Watkins play was based on two very highly publicised murder cases in the 20s because Maureen Watkins was originally a criminal reporter for one of the local papers. Yeah, no, it was insane. I mean, I was reading something about um, that at the time in Chicago, it says, like, feminine or attractive women could not be convicted. Yeah, and the things were played into in that sense historically because at that time in history, only men were allowed on the jury. 
Makes so much sense. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, make the patriarchy work for you. I girl. know, that's the thing that I, like, I love, <laughs> we, love we love a murder slay queen I boss. know, and I think that's the most, like, horrific thing about the show is that, like, all these women have murdered these people, but none of them have any consequences. It's more how famous can I get afterwards so that I can pursue what I want to do in my life. Whereas when, obviously, Hanyak dies... That's when they were like, oh, shit. Oh, I could actually, because it's the first ever woman hung. Yeah. It's then, oh, God, no, there is repercussions to my actions. But at the same mm. time, there really isn't. They play it on thick, change the storylines. And yeah, they can get away with a lot. <laughs> they can get away with murder, dare I say. Um, yeah, that is one of the fascinating things about Chicago as a piece. When it first premiered in the 70s, the concept of glamorizing criminality didn't really hit as hard as it did when it was revived. And I, this is a theory, this is a working theory of sociology and psychology. I think it hit harder when it came back in the 90s because of the 24-hour news cycle. At that point, people were getting up-to-date information on literally every criminal case that existed. And one of the biggest ones of the time was O.J. Simpson. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, think about it. This was a time period where there was a live police chase of O.J. driving down the highway pursued by multiple police cars after being indicted for murder. And all he had in the back of his car was his passport and like a go bag. Yeah. And still got away with murder. I mean, it kind of is reflective... I find this is why the musical is still relevant today is because, you know, what what are you willing to do for the price of fame? And like, and not only like, obviously with the OJ case being so sensationalized and it's like, you know, whose side are you on? Is this a good person? Is it not? And because it's so much in the news, it was like the 20s when news went around every single day, everyone read the newspaper. Whereas there was obviously a period between there where, you know, young people weren't really reading the newspaper. They were reading magazines. Mm-mm. So bringing TV into it. I mean, I don't know. That would be kind of a cool thing to see. I don't know if you could do like a modernized version of Chicago, but that would actually still be relevant, I feel like. Well, I mean, a lot of musicals have done that with implications of social media. Like Dear Evan Hansen has a bit of that. Uh, Muriel's Wedding, to an extent, has a bit of social media in it. So I think it's been... It's been touched on. I don't think it's been tapped to its full potential. Mm, I agree. But ultimately, I think if they did a social media musical, then I would <laughs> throw myself from a balcony. It would be... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know. There's actually, uh, I mean, another really fun thing. Well, not fun thing, but I guess like correlation. <laughs> I was like, fun thing? This might not be fun. Oh, here's, here's a fun thing. Fun Wait, thing. it's not fun at all. The guy that, you know, um, Amos is based off, he's in real yes. life, his name was Albert. And um, mm-hmm. he bankrupted himself to defend his wife. And then he was he obviously publicly dumped afterwards. And I find that... Yeah, almost like within days of her being acquitted. I know, and I just think that is just freaking awful (laughs) imagine Mm -hmm. defending your partner and then just being like no sorry um 
uh, I'm now free, so I've used you enough that I can I can go now. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty heinous act. That's some That's dog really shit. dog. Uh, anywho, I yeah. just thought that was a fun little tidbit. And no, I I think it's actually nice that they include that to an extent in the musical with Amos being as pathetic as he is. Ah, the things we do for love. I think Amos is the only one you actually care about, though. Like you don't really. I, I don't know, in the movie, very different to the musical, but in the musical, I didn't really, like, care about Roxy or Velma getting acquitted or I, I didn't, I was more interested in their spectacle, if that makes sense. Not so much yep. going rooting uh, wait, for are, them. Are you saying that you were the target audience for this? I think I am. Are you saying that you fell into the trap of a sensationalized criminal trial and gave the celebrity to people who didn't deserve it? Eliza. I am, I am. (laughs) But Amos is just the the character that you do root for and obviously dependent on who Yeah, he's he's the underdog. Yeah, the underdog. And I always love an underdog story. So I'm like, oh no, maybe she will go back to him and i'm like no he doesn't and deserve no. that <laughs> no he he deserves far better give amos a pat on the head a biscuit and send him on his way well i guess maybe we should do a little bit of a game you're reading my mind eliza i have concocted something incredibly relevant and will lead us into another point of discussion for later in the piece we're going to play the celebrity game. Oh my god. Oh okay. yes. For those who are unaware, Chicago, being as long running as it is, has a history of celebrity stunt casting. And I feel like it's one of the only musicals that can get away with it. Eliza, I am going to read to you the names of three people who may or may not have played a role in Chicago. You are going to have to tell me which of those three, there's going to be three names, one of them has never touched Chicago professionally, and you're going to tell me who is who. (laughs) Okay. All right, Eliza, are you ready for the celebrity game? I am ready for the celebrity game. Excellent. Let's look at the role of Roxy Hart. Out of these three actors, who has not played Roxy Hart professionally? Brooke Shield, Ashley Simpson, or Julie Andrews? Roxy? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay, I know for sure um, Simpson has. So I'm thinking Julie Andrews? Surely not. Okay, Julie Andrews. I'm going to vote Julie Andrews. There it is. That that took you longer than I thought it would. I was like, surely not. But then I'm like, Brooke Shields? (laughs) Oh, that was was actually very good. I appreciated that. (laughs) I'm just here for your entertainment. It's fine. Well, look, someone (laughs) has to be. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Out of these three actors, who has not played Billy Flynn? Huey Lewis, Michael C. Hall, and Hugh Laurie. Oh, Michael C. Hall? Incorrect. He has played Billy Flynn on Broadway. The only one who hasn't is Hugh Laurie. Really? I thought Hugh Laurie had. That's just, that's my bad. Nope, he has never touched the role. But I appreciate you putting so much faith in my boy, Hugh. Yep, I did. Oh, Christ, Too much. I'd love to see that. That'd be <laughs> excellent, actually. I still can't believe Huey Lewis played Billy Flynn. I've seen snippets of it. it it's not bad. Not bad? Yeah, it's not bad. Wow. Like, there you go. Like, it's not Ibsen, but it'll do the trick. There you go. All right. Let's talk about Mama Morton. 
Okay. All right. Which of these three actors has not played Mama Morton? Linda Carter, Tony Lamond, or Sofia Vergara? Oh, surely Sofia Vergara. No. Sofia Vergara has played Mama Morton on Broadway. The only one who hasn't is Tony Lamond. No. Ooh, ooh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. No way. Has Sofia on Broadway? Yeah. Whoa, I'm shook. Okay. I kind of want to see that. (laughs) That's great. Babe, babe, you've only got one of three, and that's the game, unfortunately. No! I tried so hard. And got so far, but in the end. I (laughs) got Oh, you shouldn't trust me to do the games. Like, I know. Hoist by your own baton. It's actually crazy how many famous people have done this show. Oh, yeah. It's really ridiculous. Like, just looking at the wiki list alone, we're looking at Billy Ray Cyrus has played Billy Flynn. We've had Peter Davidson play Amos Hart on the West End. Peter Davidson, of course, being the fifth actor to play Doctor Who. Joel Grey originating the role. John Barrowman as Billy Flynn. Like, it's ridiculous the amount of people who've played these characters. But I feel like Chicago is the only show that could get away with this. I know. I mean, not only that, you've got Usher. Like, Usher. Come on now. Yeah, Tay Diggs. Literally. And my favorite is right now they've got Jinx Monsoon oh. as Mama Morton. Obviously, if you don't know. Can we talk about Yes, like an amazing drag queen. Yeah. And G- got their start is... on RuPaul's Drag Race, played through a few seasons on that, did some all stars. And is just this incredibly funny, brilliant, yes. talented performer. And is so it's so thrilling to see them on Broadway because every time I would watch them on RuPaul's, I would go, I think Jinx needs to be like having their own show, like their own stage show. And I watched a little bootleg on um, TikTok mm-hmm. of of Jinx's Mama Morton, and I found it sensational. It was so good. It was everything I wanted it to be mm-hmm. and more, and I just thought it was such a clever casting choice. That one I really rate. Yeah, well, I, I might be misquoting, so correct if I'm wrong. Uh, Jinx has gone on record and said, the first time I thought, oh, I can dress up as a woman, was when they saw Chicago. And so this is a beautiful full circle moment for them to be able to now be on the Broadway stage in the show that inspired them. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really fucking lovely and it makes me so happy. Follow your dreams, kids. You can do whatever the hell you want. I know, and they seem so lovely at stage door taking time to oh, just yeah. like sign everyone's um, playbills and really take time to say thank you to everyone. And mm. I just like, I really appreciate that because these are the people that got... Jinx there and it was just yeah I think it's such a beautiful moment to see also not only that but see a drag queen in this role it's the first ever time um but on that note I do question there is some obviously Pamela Anderson did it recently and it actually everyone was saying that she was brilliant in the role which would have been really interesting yeah I I saw a bit of footage of Pam and she was she was really good and that's really interesting to me because watching the show I did have um a moment of oh my god all of these famous people have played these roles but some of like 
parts of this show are quite intrinsically dance heavy mm-hmm. and very technical dance, especially Velma. But Velma and Roxy are incredibly dance heavy roles and very technique based because Bob Fosse's work is actually not the easiest to nail, if that makes sense. No, it is 100%. Like, um, for those who are unaware, Bob Fosse is essentially the choreographer's choreographer, the man has legendary works all over Broadway. I want to say Gypsy and Sweet Charity were his as well. He's he's just, you know, everyone talks about Bob Fosse's work because it is so yeah, it was so different for the time and and so revolutionary as a as a style and its own style within musical theater, which is a really hard thing to accomplish. To set the bar so very high that people are reaching for you even today. Bob Fosse is referenced in every dance class, in every musical theatre degree. People are still reaching for the heights that he set. And that's an incredible legacy to have. Exactly. I mean, I was reading something which was um, when they wrote Razzle Dazzle. Oh, yes. um, Before they took it to him, they were like, let's just add in a couple of finger snaps because Bob will love it. And he did. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He was like, yes, perfect. (laughs) Well, there was also Razzle Dazzle in rehearsals. There was a moment that got far too much for the actors when Fosse was like, let's just make Razzle Dazzle a fucking orgy on the steps of the courthouse. I read that yeah. and I was like, whoa, okay, that would have been interesting. I appreciate yeah. the candor, but maybe pull it back. And Jerry Orbach, who played uh, Billy Flynn at the time, also Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. I love him so much. He, uh, the official quote is, yeah, Fosse was talked out of allowing this staging when Orbach convinced him that he was missing the Brechtian subtlety intrinsic in the number. <laughs> Which, the most actor sentence i have ever read yes how ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of funny because it also probably would have been a little bit too much for the commercial sense of where the show was going when it was written 100 oh, percent. it it would have been really pushing the boundaries for the time so i'm sure you could potentially get away with that now but not at the time i don't think no i, I don't think so at all also, I don't want to see Jerry Orbach having an orgy. Exactly. I think <laughs> like, okay. that's not high on a list of my bucket list shows. <laughs> I think that was kind of one of the coolest parts of this show is the like the switch to like the Razzle Dazzle or Billy Flynn numbers and how different Billy Flynn's numbers are in this show and there's a little bit of feathers and yeah. you know, you've got the showgirl and the um all the money you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing that comes into mind which i find is really cool i i know i think it's a great way of differentiating between his numbers and say amos's numbers or even roxy's numbers to an extent because billy is a legal eagle he's successfully criminal in that sense and i believe he's one of the best at it that's why I believe his numbers get that little extra zhuzh, that little extra shine and polish. A hundred percent. I mean, that's kind of the cool thing about Chicago is that it's mostly a female-dominated and driven storyline. It's it's um, other than Billy Flynn, you don't really have any other mass characters on stage other than Freddie and some obviously ensemble numbers, mm-hmm. ensemble members, but. That is, I think, one of the things that really stood out to me, seeing where it was obviously written in the 70s and seeing that 
shows like this really started pushing forward oh females can lead a show it doesn't just have to be a mask character leading a show it can be a femme character you know yeah we're done with the ingenue let's bring in some bad bitches yeah and i think that's why it was so successful and obviously maybe it wasn't received as well at the time but then the revival obviously being more successful i think it was probably just ahead of its time a little bit but it really pushed. i, I think so yeah it, it definitely pushed music theater into this modern sense where you have so many incredible musicals that are based around a female pr- protagonist or mm. antagonist as they say <laughs> yeah um, uh, a- anti-hero yeah. i would call them anti-hero which is like the one of the things that really i think maybe stood out to me and why i loved this show so much is because it really shows like women also claiming their own sexuality like it's a very sexual show oh a hundred percent it it's probably one of the horniest musicals i've ever seen exactly i mean and and the funny thing is like i don't think musicals are really i i don't know correct me if i'm wrong obviously you have moulin rouge and a few things that are very sexy in that in that sense yeah i I, I was gonna say moulin rouge it can get incredibly horny when it wants to yes moulin rouge is one of the horny ones but but Chicago is the one that gets ribald with it. Yeah, and I mean, without Chicago, you probably wouldn't have something like Moulin Rouge and, you know... Never in a million years. Yeah, because it pushed the boundaries. On stage, I just go, oh my goodness, they're wearing nothing. Like, it's absolutely (laughs) nothing. But it's also like, they're so like... I don't know, embodied in their own body, which is such like a... Yeah, there there is an ownership to it. No matter what production you see, no matter what clips I've seen. Yes. It's not like I'm being objectified. Yeah, it's not an objectification. It's just, cool, this is where I am. This is what I am wearing. You're going to have to deal with it as I tell my story. Exactly. Yeah, like if I'm going to be in the public eye, I might as well look hot. Exactly. I mean, do you have a favourite song from the show? I have to ask. I mean, call me a sucker for a typecast, but I love Mr. Cellophane. Like, it's in my rep book. It's one of my favorite songs to just belt out like that top note at the end is just nice and feels good. That is entirely based on my experience though. But a top song for me though, outside of my own wants and needs as a tenor, is I'm I'm basic. I love Cellbot Tango. It's so good. Oh, it's just the best. Yes. <laughs> I think mine is probably Cellbot Tango, but uh yeah I, it's always cell block tango i can't go past it <laughs> you, you like, tried I, to though you tried to go past i it. did i really tried but that being said i do love all that jazz that one is such a sensational act one opener which you don't anticipate yeah, like, like what a brilliant opening to a show yeah like you just don't anticipate that it just comes out and you're like oh wait this is like the number that I, I mean that's the thing you think about you think all that jazz is the number that you remember from this show but then you're like oh the cell block tango mr cellophane yep. it's just hit after hit after hit after hit yeah th- this show yeah. does not miss ever every no. song in it is brilliant i mean that's candor and ebb that's candor and, 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 and that's chicago thank you so much gareth for joining me this week for a deep dive that's all right always happy to be here We'll be back with you guys with uh, more episodes to come. I think Tori will be back as soon as possible. But um, if you don't see their face for a little while, don't fret. They are still here very much. Um, But until next time, stay happy, healthy and safe. And we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.